This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Welcome to another episode of Crowcasts. I am once again delighted to have with us our Head of Manufacturing and the current Chair of the ICAEW's Manufacturing Community, Mr. Jonathan Dudley. Hello, Jonathan. Great to have you here. Hiya. Nice to be back. For those of you currently working within the sector, or in fact, if you are one of our regular listeners, today we welcome back to the podcast today's special guest, Mr. Stephen Morley, who is the president of the Confederation of British Metal Forming. Welcome back to Crowcast, Stephen. Thanks, Jennifer. It's good to be back with you and yourself and Jonathan. Uh, we certainly find ourselves in interesting times. So good time for the cast. Yes, we do indeed. It was actually at the end of last year that we uh, came together. We last came together and we spoke about the manufacturing sector and we were talking about the launch of our manufacturing survey something where we were predicting or asking the sector to make predictions of what they thought would happen over the next 12 months. Well, it looks like the sector was taking a very practical approach, actually. They had a really good understanding of the constraints that the UK and abroad were going through at the time, but they still didn't seem to lose any of that optimism and hope. Um, In fact, 83% of respondents believed that their turnover would grow or remain the same over over the next 12 months. Right, so here we are, six months after that launch of that survey. We have officially left the EU. Brexit has been completed. The government has held its spring budget, offering new packages of support and to various people and sectors throughout the UK. Um, the big success, I think everyone can, can agree, has been the rollout of the vaccine. Um, I haven't actually had mine yet, so I, I'm, I think I'm on the, the wait list still. Um, I've got. I've had both of mine. I'm you've had both. Yeah, and me as well. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the next one. I think I'm the next group to get them. But you know, the thing is, this is something that's going to have a massive impact on the UK sector and, and industries. As after a year and a half of COVID restrictions, we are edging ever closer. Just a few weeks, in fact, to coming out of lockdown and returning to what some people have been calling the new normal. But you know what. What about the manufacturing sector? Has anything changed? Were were our survey participants right to be optimistic about the future? Well, that's what we are going to be discussing on today's Crowcast. So, Jonathan, I'd like to come to you first. Are the 83% of respondents, are they right to be optimistic? Well, proof of the pudding seems to currently be confirming it. Um, And demand for all sorts of things um, seems to outstrip um supply um but unlike other recoveries where the angle of the recovery curve to get all statistical on you has been tended to be gentle this this actual recovery has been extremely steep because it's a bit like somebody's turned the tap on and the pressure there's a lot of pressure behind it now there's two things there first of all will that pressure maintain at the level it, it, it it's been at for the last two or three months where everyone I've been talking about has been really, really busy, um, or will it will it fall back again? And and the other thing is is it's had a lot of 
uh, knock-on effects because you've got shortages of raw materials, which have been caused by the pandemic. Um, one or two uh, nat natural and non-natural disasters, fires and uh, and businesses failing, and of course Brexit, and that's that's actually driven a level of inflation in the marketplace and shortages that we're, we're probably we're probably seeing operationally, but it's not feeding through into official statistics yet. And and the big fear that the knock-on effect of that is that there's a perfect storm in, team, in terms of a need for cash to fund this. And uh, as we'll perhaps uh, get into discussing, just at a time when it when it's about to be needed for a variety of reasons, uh, as we start to um, to use the the phrase, start to have to pay the ferryman for all of the assistance uh, and uh, support that um, the, uh, the the country's business has been receiving over the last eighteen months or so. Yeah, you say there about supply chain and and this lack of raw materials. Well, there seems to be a a lot of talk across the media and large discussions taking place across the sector regarding supply chains or more accurately I suppose the disruption too. Um, can you give us a bit of an overview of what these disruptions to the supply chain are and you know what what do you think can practically be done? Well well okay I mean you know I, I'll probably defer on that last point uh, to, to, to Steve but, but it, to, to scene set I mean the the pandemic in itself has meant that there have been shortages, uh, there have been production shortages, supply shortages um, in all sectors. I mean, even within one particular kind of manufacturing, to use an example, that, that there haven't been traditionally shortages in the food sector. But there's thinking this year that probably there will be because of an inability of people to actually pick crops. Um, but in terms of uh, importing and exporting and international trade, at the turn of the year, we were having exponentially high container and transport costs because the containers and indeed the ships were in the wrong place. That was even further frustrated by uh, the, the infamy of, uh, of that ship, the ever given, given in the um, Suez Canal. Um, and that had a massive knock-on effect because it wasn't just the containers over on that ship. There were a huge amount of ships that were backed up and stored. And, and more importantly, of course, when those ships eventually made port, um, they then had to queue again to um, actually un unload and unload goods. Uh, and that, that, you know, the, the true impact of that hasn't even washed itself through even now. Uh, there are two major car plants belonging to Jaguar Land Rover that for a period of time had to close, not because people didn't want to buy the cars, it's because they couldn't get hold of the semiconductors and, and uh, that they were needed to build them. And, and interestingly enough, that's a problem that's not going to go away. Belief is it's going to go worse. And um, there is a global steel crisis out there. Metal supplies are being frustrated by market manipulation in one part of the uh, world. Crisis in UK production and, of course, uh, pressure to manage production or limit production because of the effects of climate change. Wow, that is, that is a lot going on there, I can see. Um, coming over to you now, Stephen, um, how much of an impact has supply chain had on your members? Um, how are they coping? And you know, passing on that question um, from Jonathan, you know, what do you think could practically be done to support them and and hopefully fix or 
you know, help this supply chain problem? I think um, going back to the first point, um, I think the upswing was well founded. I think there is a real pent up demand in the marketplace. But as Jonathan alluded to, there are several factors that aren't really helping. And some of these started with COVID, for instance, um, steel mills closing down, very slow to come back. They've had uh, a knock-on effect on, on the production of steel globally, not just in the UK, but globally, which hasn't come back to, to meet the demand that's currently there. Um, so that's probably the first one we, we were aware of. And I've got um, colleagues in America who've got the same problem, so it's not just here, it's in Europe. And, and even in Asia, they've got problems. Um, so that started to impact fairly early. Um, then we had Brexit, and Brexit came in at a time probably when we didn't need it, but we needed to get it sorted. So it was good that it was done and dusted and out of the way. The first couple of months, January, February, we've seen severe disruption for anyone importing and exporting. Through March and April, that's calmed down a bit. I mean, I'm not saying it's gone away, but it's calmed down. People are getting used to the new way of working. There is a cost involved, and that cost will remain forever. Um, so people are looking at how they do do things differently, and that may be some organisations may even have, have um, suppliers abroad uh, or put a base abroad to reduce some of that cost. Um, so, so that is working its way out of the system. But we've got then the the um, supply of semiconductors, Jonathan mentioned. And this is, again, a worldwide issue. It's not just a UK issue. Um, it won't be sold in the short term. And that's resulting in OEMs, um, certainly here in the UK, not just JLR, but Nissan, BMW, uh, either short-term working or closing complete lines down. And that has a massive effect on our on the supply chain, as you can imagine. And I think the same has been seen across Europe. So some of our members who are supplying to Europe have got the same problem. And, and what you get is the OEMs focus on their most profitable models and making sure that they get them out the door and they're not producing the, if you like, the low margin cars or whatever it is. That was then compounded by... Um, one of the impacts of Brexit, which was um, the transfer of EU safe, still safeguarding controls were moved onto the UK, as they were, but they weren't, if you like, set correctly for the UK to be on their own. So that meant that certain types of steel can't be imported into the UK without tariffs. So we got a double-edged sword where we got a shortage of steel anyway, but if you go and buy the steel abroad, you may be liable to 25% tariffs. And we've got several members who just can't get steel. And Liberty situation, Greens are going to registration, and the effect on Liberty has also uh, made that situation worse. I mean, you've said there that, you know, you don't see it being fixed anytime soon. So, you know, to what extent do you think these issues are likely to continue? And, and you know, do you know how long for? How long are your um, members and the industry, do you think, going to be stuck in this situation? Well, the start of the semiconductors, they're mainly made in Asia. The main base is Taiwan. Um, there needs to be a structural investment globally to take the reliance on the Asian market away from that part. It will cost a lot of money to do it. I don't think there's an appetite in the UK to do it. 
um, from the government based on what they've just spent on COVID and also the push for EV, the battery market. So, but that that's a real problem, and I think you'll see some major uh, economies such as America, maybe Germany, investing in local semiconductor market. Well, at the moment, that problem is not going to go away to next year. Um, so we've got to manage our way through that uh, until then. Um, hopefully, it won't be as bad as it is now, but um, it, it all depends on how many chips I can get out. Um, and then still safeguarding, which I alluded to, is also up for review by TRID, which is a trade remedy inspector doctorate who are an independent body but report to the government on their recommendations for what steels can have safeguarding either removed or altered and, and changed from the quotas. The problem with steel safeguarding is there's a, you know, it's there to protect the UK steel industry. Um, so it's important we have some kind of safeguarding in place. But we have to be realistic and um, look at what it does to the current market and I think there needs to be some really serious tweaks in, in the quotas very quickly so people are able to buy steel they can't access in the UK. Uh, and the problem is that you've got a lot of politicians from both sides who don't understand the problems that the coal face and make, uh, if you like, glib statements to say we must protect the UK steel at all costs. That's very true, but you more also must uh, keep the supply chain going with steel. So they're just two examples of problems that are very difficult to resolve at the moment. Um, so there's a lot of hard work to be done to ensure that we can get this supply chain working. And as Jonathan said as well, you know, I've never known um, so many sectors be affected by supply chain issues. I'm talking lubricants because airplanes aren't flying. Um, some of the lubricants that they make as a, if you like, a, a not a main component or a main supply aren't being made either. So there's now a shortage of lubricants. I deal with people with ceramics. They've got shortages. Composites, they've got shortages. It's every supply, every conceivable supply chain have got issues. So if we are going to come back stronger and you know, make Brexit work, we really have got to get this sorted. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to think how it's everything, all these sectors. I mean, Jonathan, coming, coming back over to you, you know, the government has offered various loans and grants to businesses and individuals um, throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, and in some instances, we, we've heard how, you know, this funding has actually really saved their businesses. You know, it's, it's been able to keep them afloat. I mean, you know, with all these issues going on, I mean, do you think the government had went far enough to support manufacturers? And, and now we're in this position, you know, what else could they be doing? What, what else do you want to see them doing? Um, thanks, Jennifer. Well, from March 2020, uh, we devised the Crow funding flowchart, um, and that tracked the coronavirus help provided to to businesses ever since then. And and it's a measure of the amount of help that the government have provided that we're now on version 22 of that document, uh, and it's still available and being developed uh, each time there's a change on our website to this day. Um, Never before has so much support being provided over such a short period of time, um, and that's factual, and that's absolutely commendable, and the government reacted, and, and that's funded the lockdown. Unfortunately, 
Um, when you have an, a period of increased prices and shortage, uh, basic economics, sort of schoolboy or schoolgirl e economics, dictates that the, the, the demand di uh, dictates price. And therefore, we're going to see a period of inflation. And in a period of inflation where you've got that level of, of, of immediate growth, um, you need to, uh, you're going to have inflation without a doubt. And, and, and therefore, uh, my challenge really is, is the government have funded the, the, um, the lockdown. It now needs to fund the recovery or risk an overtrading situation for UK PLC. And as with any kind of overtrading, it can go right, but it can equally go wrong too. Um, and, and the problem is, is that increased cash that I talked about earlier, is, is going to be locked up in debtors and stock along with inflation because you need to spend more money to get to, to uh, sell to people, even if you can pass the price on. Um, and and more, pe more and more businesses are hoarding stock levels if they can get supply, you know, whether they'd ordered just in time. Now it's not just in time. They're ordering extra to keep the, uh, the, the production lines going in all kinds. Even, you know, um, uh, uh, Steve mentioned lubricants. If you could even talk about plastics or, 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 or even wood, uh, you know, there's, there's a shortage of everything at the moment. And, and the credit referencing agencies, of course, uh, and it's something else that Steve uh, will probably wax lyrical on. Um, they've been watching uh, as commercial businesses what's been going on in, in the marketplace. And if there is overtrading, if there isn't an excess amount of, uh, of, of, of cash demand, then they will start adding to that problem in a kind of perfect storm because they will restrict uh, credit reference, uh, credit ratings for their, um, uh, for, for UK, uh, companies. And that therefore will start to suppress the amount of money that's available to keep, uh, the economy going. And, and all of that at the same time as UK PLC starts to need to service and repay the, uh, uh wait for it, 75 billion pounds of coro coronavirus debt, uh, that it, uh, all at the same time. And, and, and that's sort of, well, almost now really, because we're just coming around to the first anniversary of when the first sea bills and, uh, and, and bounce back loans were provided. Um, and at the same time, as our survey indicated, uh, we still need funds to invest and develop new products, processes and digitize. Um, so, so it, it, at a time when we are trying to go green, and by the way, I still think that's a massive opportunity if we can if we can seize the innovative opportunities that are presented there. There is a real need for global competitiveness and productivity. And, and I think Steve touched on that because one of the big problems that we've got is, yes, people can get second grade or reclaim steel, but the high grade, high value added steel is the stuff that's not being produced and they, we just can't get hold of. And. And I just add one other thing that, the, that, that, that ought to be looked at is, uh, you know, investing and supporting in some fossil fuel activity um, may actually still be good for net zero um, because there's no point in extracting our own, um, in not extracting our own minerals and um, 
metals and plastics if we just import them from other countries and states who don't have the same zero carbon targets that, that we're looking to do. To quote, quote uh, the late President Kennedy, we all breathe the same air. So, it, you know, we all live on the same planet. So, so just shifting the problem around just doesn't work. And I'd like to see the next generation of wind turbines, electric vehicles designed and developed in the UK and made as much as possible from UK manufactured materials. And right here, right now, for the reasons that Steve's just explained, we're not there. Um, so, yes, it's been really good. And it's a long answer to a, to a short question that the support that has been there for businesses, but there is now a key strategic need to fund the recovery in a sustainable manner. Now, that is really interesting. You make some really good points there. This, you know, shifting it across, you know, I don't think that's something I definitely hadn't thought of when you're just shifting the problem. Um, no, I'm just looking at the time. We are coming to the end of today's podcast. I'm going to put the last question actually over to you, Stephen. Um, similar to what I asked Jonathan earlier on with everything we've discussed today um, and some of the, the the issues are ongoing and this potential that it's going to be a while before we get to any form of bigger recovery um are you optimistic about the future I mean do you still think there is a chance for growth and development um within the sector I mean we've only got seven months left till the end of 2021 what what's what's your prediction on that I think overall I'm, I'm optimistic because the demand will, the demand is there, and, it, and if it's if it's curtailed in the short term because supply issues, it will be there in months to come. So there's a chance to catch back. My my, my short term concerns, however, are the liquidity of businesses uh, with the cash flow. Cash flow is king, um, and I'm really seeing undermining this by the insurance companies, the trade insurance companies, who cried out for government support last year amongst COVID and screamed for it and got it from the government. And we had to support them in that through um, providing case studies into CBI and Bayes who were, who were lobbying the government to, to, return, to ensure we got this trade credit insurance scheme undermined by the government. And now we see it being removed at the end of June. Now, I'm concerned that those in the supply chain with reliance on trade credit insurance and in turn invoice discount, discounting won't have the support of the insurance companies. And in fact, we're already seeing companies performing really, really well having their trade credit, trade credit insurance removed from the end of June. So who mm -hmm. knows what's going to happen to the companies who are performing well? You know, so we really have to um, do something about this. I mean, I'm really trying hard to, to force um through lobbying CBI buys this scheme to continue so it buys us some time to ensure that we can keep the cash flow going in companies and keep supply chain strong. Um, you know, I am optimistic, but we're nothing about the supply chain. You know, there's uh, 85 percent of our, our companies are SMEs in the UK. We've got to keep them going. Otherwise the OEMs who want to be successful won't be successful. So it's really, really important that we understand this. We're coming at a time as well when, as Jonathan said, we're starting to pay back COVID debt, um, HMRC, deferred payments to HMRC. All them things are coming together uh, and we really need to, to take this seriously because we've got two two things, supply issues and also the the, the cash flow, and, and they're going to kill companies more so than you know, people worried last year about COVID, rightly so. 
I'm, I'm actually more worried now as we come out of it how we're going to get through this because you know it, it's frightening that so many sectors are, are struggling. Um, you know, and we need some help, and we need some really, and we need we need to be help that's um, you know, flexible and strong. You know, we can't be waiting months and months for an answer. And I'm sorry, I do get frustrated with lobby with lobbying governments that you don't get the answer you want quick enough. Well, people are suffering now; we're losing jobs now, and won't be told when furlough ends. We could lose a lot more jobs if we don't get this sorted out. All the jobs you've protected, and they've done a good job, the government in terms of the, the furlough scheme. All them jobs are protected won't be there if we don't sort this out now. Now, I mean, a two billion outstanding, uh, outstanding funds in the apprentice level, put that back into the system. Let's get that moving to, to, help, to help suppliers. Let's get some things moving. Let's not just sit on it and wait for it to fall over, because then our optimism will be, you know, it, it will we it will fall away, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, like uh, what what I would say, Jennifer, like you know, just to echo what Steve said. That that just epitomises the reason that that you know what what was done last year was was done as a quick response and the quick response and the government acted agilely and it had effect. The point is now there is now time to make another quick response, and now is not the time for for faltering because otherwise all of that money that was invested last year will be lost because we don't fund a recovery. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. There is clearly so much more we could and would love to cover on this topic. So to our listeners, do keep an eye out for our new episodes and remember to subscribe to our podcast on the various podcast platforms available and look out for our posts on social media as we will definitely uh, be having another catch up with Jonathan and Stephen in the coming months because I really want to see, you know, how the recovery is going and what else hopefully we can see put in place. Um, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Jonathan and Stephen for taking the time out to be with us today. It's really appreciated and such wonderful insight. Thanks, Jennifer. And thanks, Jonathan. Uh, as always, uh, interesting to uh, interesting subject, and we've got to try and get it sorted for all, for all our all our manufacturing companies. Thank you both. And thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Jennifer, for the opportunity. No problem at all. And thank you to everybody at home for listening and do tune in next time for another Crowcasts. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.